the reason why Christmas is so significant is not because of the story of the shepherds. It's not because of the star itself wandering by. It's not because of all those things. It's because of what Christmas teaches, okay? Now, I know Christ wasn't born in the wintertime. Most likely, he was born in the springtime, and they, they surmise that because of the shepherds out on the flock, right? You can't feed sheep during the wintertime, right? So um, out, uh, they have to move them around to pastures and places where they have uh, different pastures. But what is significant and why we celebrate it and why we get together, what is significant is not the gifts. It's not getting what you want. It's not shopping and, and uh, doing all these things. It's not even the desserts that I love. What, is, what makes Christmas significant is what Jesus did when he came in the flesh. Okay? This is the marvel of marvels. And if you would turn with me to Luke chapter 1, we are actually only going to look at two verses. Luke chapter 1, verse 34 and 35. And we're going to talk about why the incarnation, that is Jesus coming in the flesh, right? incarnation is so significant okay Luke chapter 1 um, Nelson read a big bigger swath of scripture we're only going to go through verses 34 and 35 Mary said to the angel how can this be since I am a virgin the angel answered and said to her the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you and that reason, the holy child shall be called the Son of God. Father, we come before you. We ask you would bless the preaching of your word, that I would be clear, that your word would be clear, that we would hear it, and we would glorify Christ because of it. We pray that you're, you would change our lives, that we would put our faith and our trust in the only Son of God, that is Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Why should we get excited? Why should we celebrate? Why should we praise Christ? Why are all these Christmas songs here? I believe God gave this passage to you this morning so that you would worship Christ for condescending to take on human flesh to die for your sins. It's a long preaching passage. I'm going to say it again, okay? Uh, if you want some notes, I think, Jason, you have some notes back there. Are there any more? Okay, good. If you want notes... You could raise your hand. Does anyone want to raise their hand? Everyone has it. Okay. Oh, Miss Tria over here. <laughs> God gave this passage to you this morning so that you, so that you would worship Christ for condescending to take on human flesh to die for your sins. And so we're going to talk about the theology behind it and we're going to talk about the scriptures behind it, why this is so significant. Number one, okay, number one. The marvelous prophecy. The marvelous prophecy. Verse 34. Mary says to the angel, the angel talks to Mary, right, to expect this. And Mary says, how can this be since I am a virgin? Okay. Now, literally in this translation, okay, literally in the Greek, this means I know not man. Okay. I have not been intimate with a man. Uh, I have no intimate knowledge of a man. So Mary knows the implications. And she's saying, 
How can I be pregnant when I've never known a man? And critics will say, well, see, she's had a close relationship. You know, oftentimes this is where the devil attacks. Because this is where brothers and sisters, those of you who have trusted in Christ, this is where everything rests on. The virgin conception, Jesus coming in the flesh, all other doctrines rest on it. You got to think about that, okay? Because if Jesus was not God and he died on the cross, he was just another man, another sinful man who died on the cross. And that would mean my sins are not paid for. And that would mean I'm still in my sin. Do you see? It all rests on the virgin birth. And this is why even from the beginning, the enemy, his Christ's enemies has been doubting it. The religious leaders in John chapter 8, they were saying, we are sons of Abraham. We come through the lineage of Abraham. And then they said to him, to Jesus, we're not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. And so the implication there in John chapter 8 was, Jesus, you're born of fornication. Sometimes when you read uh, uh, in, um, in Time magazine, you'll, you'll read that there's all these kind of theories that Jesus, Joseph, and Mary were actually getting married as a shotgun wedding. You know, we understand that as a shotgun wedding. But it's very clear in Matthew chapter 1, it says that Joseph kept Mary a virgin until she gave birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Now, there's prophecy regarding this. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7. And this is so significant. So hundreds of years prior to the birth of Christ, this was prophesied about in Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. He says here, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. And what's the sign? He says, behold, a virgin will be with child and will bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. Notice he says, the Lord himself will give you a sign. What's the sign? A virgin. The word there for virgin in Hebrew is Alma. Okay? It's where we get the Spanish word, Alma, right? For soul. But here, this is for young woman, okay? Young woman will be called, will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us, okay? Go on to Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, okay? This is, here's another prophecy regarding Christ. He says, for a child will be born to us. This is interesting, okay? Look at, look at how Isaiah writes this. A son will be given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Now look, he says in verse 6, okay, a child will be born to us. In the same context, the child's name will be Wonderful Counselor. Okay, we can, we can receive that. 
the child's name will be called Mighty God. Did you catch that? The child will be called Mighty God. The child will be called, notice, Eternal Father. The child will be called Prince of Peace. It is a powerful, powerful verse as you look and you dwell upon it. That Jesus, how does this even take place? I'm sure as Isaiah even wrote it, he wasn't quite clear of how this was going to take place. Let me show you how it takes place. Okay? In Matthew chapter 1. Okay? Matthew chapter 1. Now, in verse... 23. Now Matthew is drawing and he's pulling from the Hebrew scriptures. Okay? He's pulling from the Old Testament. And he has talked about the genealogy of Christ. And he says this is exactly how Christ was supposed to come. Okay? And Mary you need to depend on this. To trust on this. And notice he says here in Matthew after he talks about all of, a, all of the genealogy. Verse 21, chapter 121, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Okay, now notice he says here, now all this took place to fulfill what spoke what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Now, Matthew is now quoting Isaiah. Okay, he says, behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, this is interesting, okay? When Matthew translates that word, Alma, from the Hebrew into the Greek, he uses a word now as Parthenos. Parthenos is a very specific word which can only mean virgin, not young woman. So forget about this when people say, well, the Bible doesn't teach that Jesus came from a virgin. That is false. The Bible very clearly has prophesied in hundreds of years before in Isaiah chapter 7, Isaiah chapter 9. And now Matthew takes that prophecy and says, in Christ, it has been fulfilled. See, Christ had to come from a virgin. So that he would come without sin. It says in Hebrews 4. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness. But one who has been tempted in all things. As we are yet without sin. So there is this marvelous prophecy. Christ was supposed to come in the flesh. He was supposed to come. Uh, through a virgin. Right. Verse. Uh, in verse 35. Point 2. So we have this marvelous prophecy, but now we have this miraculous process. Now the question is going to become, well, you te you're teaching this. You may be asking, you're teaching this. How did it happen? Does the Bible talk about it? Absolutely, the Bible talks about it. Okay? And it's here in verses 34 and 35. Okay? Verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you and for that reason, the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. Now, in, the, uh, in these few verses, going back to Luke chapter 1, 
Okay. In these few verses, you're going to see different players here and their different roles. Okay. God is one in uh, one in essence and three in person. Okay. And then you have Mary's contribution here. So we're going to talk about these verses on uh, based on what their role is. Okay. So the first portion or the first person we're going to talk about is the Holy Spirit's part. The Holy Spirit's part. It says here, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Now, this phrase, will come upon you, means to overpower. Okay? It has the same kind of language in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, where the earth was formless and void and darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Okay? What this is saying is that the Holy Spirit was the agent miraculously creating a human nature out of Mary. We're going to talk about the difference between nature and person. Okay? But the Holy Spirit will come upon you. It is independent of any other masculine man, right? It was out of Mary's real humanity. So what we are teaching from the text is that the Holy Spirit came upon her, used her, her substance, of real humanity, and Christ took on real flesh, real bone. He had real hair, real eyes, real nostrils, so to speak, right? Real fingernails, real toenails, real internal organs. He, he, uh, the Holy Spirit came upon the substance that is Mary. Now, that was Mary's part. Notice the Holy Spirit will come upon you, Mary. It was out of her substance that the Holy Spirit created life. Now, here's, here's something to clarify because this is so confused and it has been confused for centuries oftentimes. It was a miraculous conception, okay? Not an immaculate conception. Okay? It was miraculous. And in fact, if we were to say the miraculous, it's a, uh, it was a um, virgin birth, that's really not a right way of saying that. Because the birth was really normal. It was actually a virgin conception. Okay? The birth was normal. Mary still felt pain. Uh, he came through the birth canal. It was a normal birth. It was a miraculous conception. Okay? Now, this doctrine, I have to, I have to kind of uh, outline this. Okay? It was not an immaculate conception. So what I'm saying here is that Mary was not immaculate. There's this teaching that says that the reason why Mary was chosen to carry Christ was because she was sinless and that she was sinless her whole life. That is not true. That is nowhere in Scripture. In fact, Scripture teaches the very opposite. We know that the Scriptures teach, for all have sinned and what? Fall short of the glory of God. But Mary was simply a chosen instrument of God to be, as it were, the delivery method for Christ. Mary was still a fallen, sinful human being like you and I. Notice in Luke chapter 1, verse 47, um, when Mary is glorifying Christ for being chosen to carry the Messiah, she says here, verse 46, Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, 
And my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has regard for the humble state of his bondslave. And behold, from this time on, generations may count me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things. Notice he says in verse, she says in verse 47, my spirit has rejoiced in God. What does it say? My, what's it say? My Savior. See, Mary was admitting that she needed a Savior from her sins. If she was sinless, why would she need a Savior? So the teaching that Mary was sinless her whole life is just plain not true. What is true is that the Holy Spirit came upon this selected woman that she would carry your Savior and my Savior. Secondly, <coughs> just to clarify these things, and it has to be taught, okay? Mary was not a perpetual virgin. That's another teaching, okay? That means that Mary, uh, there's this teaching that says that Mary was, is a virgin and was, always will be a virgin. That's just not true at all. And in fact, the scriptures don't teach that at all. And in fact, the scriptures teach the very opposite. You can go ahead and write this down. Matthew 1.24, it says, And Joseph arose from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took her as his wife and kept her a virgin, verse 25, until she gave birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Okay. Very clear the implications of the verse. She was not a virgin after Jesus was born. Very clear, right? Um, you can also look at different texts where it says that Jesus had other brothers. So that's very clear, okay? So Mary was not immaculate. Mary was not a perpetual virgin. But Mary was a selected person to be the conduit by which our Savior would come. It was of her substance. And we can talk about genealogies some other time. I just don't have time for that. But here is the miraculous take-home message. That this woman was blessed to be used for the glory of God. One commentator puts it this way. Let this be clearly realized that when our Lord was born of Mary, it was of the physical part only that she became his mother. He did not inherit his mind from Mary as our Lord's manhood has no father. So his Godhead has no mother. I think it's I think it's wonderful. Um, my wife and I had four have four kids, and every time she was pregnant, I just loved putting my hand on her belly and seeing the movement of the baby, or just seeing that baby just stretch out. But you gotta stop and think and and just linger, brothers and sisters. That this young girl, as she felt the movement of the baby in her belly, she was feeling God himself. Whose very mission and reason why he put on flesh was to die for you and me. There was the Father's part, so there was the Holy Spirit's part. 
There's Mary's part. There's the Father's part. It says the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Okay, the word there for Most High is El Elyon. That is clearly a reference to God the Father. There's hundreds of texts in the Old Testament. If you're writing some notes, you can jot this down. I'll just give you two, okay, and I'll read it to you. Psalm 92, verse 1. It is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to thy name, O Most High. Psalm 97, verse 9. For thou art the Lord Most High over all the earth. Thou art exalted far above all gods. But even just a quick glance at the passage that Nelson read for us, or was it Andre? Well, Andre read for us verse 32 in Luke chapter 1. Don't even have to go anywhere. He says, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. Clearly, the most high is in reference to God the father. So what does the father do? He overshadows. He overshadows. This means to surround, to encompass, to influence. It was used in transfiguration when the cloud formed around uh, Christ and Moses and Elijah were there and the cloud overshadowed them. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. So here's the father's part. The father's part was to influence to protect, to prepare the process. So you've got the Holy Spirit's part. You've got Mary. You've got the Father. And then you have the Son. Okay? The Son's part was that he voluntarily, this is an amazing thought, okay? This is before the creation of the universe. In the council of God, okay? The council. As they met, he voluntarily said, as the father said, son, you shall go and die for the sins of man. The son said, I will voluntarily go. He didn't fight. He didn't fuss. You could jot down Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. And we know this, that he took on, he, did, he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and made himself in the likeness of men. He personally joined himself to the miraculously conceived human nature. Okay? The son joined himself to the human nature in such a way that it became part of his being. And what's astonishing is that when Jesus put on flesh, he put it on forever. You think about that. He put on flesh to die for our sins. After he was resurrected, Thomas said, I, I'm not going to believe this until I see it myself. Right? I'm not going to believe this. That's why we get the term doubting Thomas. Right? He says, I'm not going to believe it until I see the scars myself. So then Christ comes and he says, go ahead, put your hand, touch my hands, put your hand in my side. And so Jesus, is his resurrected body, God incarnate, right, still bears the scars of his crucifixion he tells him to touch his hand and to touch my side and thomas does and he bows right and then what does jesus say he says blessed are you thomas for and for believing and then he says blessed are those who do not see and believe right 
And so with that in mind, it, the text never says that Jesus ever gives up his body. This is astonishing. In Revelation chapter 5, okay, Revelation chapter 5, if you want to write this down in verse 6, it says, I saw between the throne and the elders a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes. What, what's it saying is here is that in heaven, the lamb is still as if slain. The lamb still bears his scars. So when we are there with him in heaven, when we see Christ, you will still see his scars, the scars that he has borne to love you, brother and sister. He bears that as his, his, scars, of a, his scars of merit, his badge of honor. He still wears his scars for you and me. And this is all made possible by the incarnation. Secondly, secondly, or that's thirdly, thirdly, thirdly is the majestic person. And now we're going to talk about how does this occur, okay? How does this occur? How did he do it? This is the majestic person, verse 35c. Now it says, For that reason, the holy child shall be called the Son of God. Okay? For that reason, the holy child shall be called the Son of God. Now, before we talk about this verse, i got to talk about what am I saying when we talk about person and natures. Okay? How are we doing? Are we okay? Okay. Natures, okay? Nature is the substance of a being. That is all the inherent properties that comprise a being. For a human, it's all of the distinctives that make a man a man without pointing out how all of these comprised in a particular individual. In other words, nature is the stuff, okay? Right? Nature is all that comprises a man, his heart, his mind, his will, his body, all of those things are nature, okay? That's what we're talking about. Then there's the person, okay? The person is the individualizing of the human nature. You're a, you're a person with unique combination of the properties of human nature. You're a person possessing a human nature. So the nature is all that makes up a human. The person is the individual that actualizes the nature, right? That brings individuality to it, okay? This is why when we're standing, at the, uh, standing in the funeral home and there's a body in the coffin, okay? And we see that there is a human nature there. There is a body, right? There's skin, there's teeth, there's flesh. We encourage each other of, of this truth. He is no longer there, right? She is no longer there. She is with Christ. He is with Christ, right? And why do we say that? Because that person is no longer there. The nature remains, right? But that person is no longer there. And so with Christ, what we're teaching here is that there is only one person who existed before the foundation of the world. He existed with the Father, right? It is the person, the second head of the Trinity. His name is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has the nature of God, because he shares in his essence, okay? What Jesus did in the virgin conception 
is he added another nature. Such that he has the divine nature and he also has the human nature. He is, the, he is forever the God-man. Two natures, one person, unmixed, unmingled, unconfused. And let me, and let me show you how, how it's seen here, okay? Jesus has only one person with two natures. Complete deity, complete humanity. There is no biblical evidence of dual personhood. There is evidence of dual natures. Notice, we know this in John chapter 1, verse 14. It says, the word became flesh. The word was already there. That is Jesus Christ. Dwelt amongst us. Beheld his glory as only, of the, only begotten of the Father. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5. I want to show you this verse. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 5. Hebrews chapter 10. Now, in Hebrews chapter 10, notice, it is impossible, verse 4, for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. This is why man's religion cannot save you, okay? No matter what you give up, no matter how many, no matter what kind of leaf you turn over, you cannot pay for your sins, okay? There has to be a perfect sacrifice for your sins. Verse 5, it says, therefore, now notice, it says, when he, that is Christ, look at verse 5. When he comes into the world, he says, sacrifice and offering you have not desired, look at, look at this, okay? But a body you have prepared for me. Okay? A body you have prepared for me. Christ already is coming into the world. He exists as an individual. He exists as a person. What was added to Christ? Another person? No. What was added to Christ, and here what he's saying is a body, a nature. He gained another nature. So he is forever one person, two natures. Now, how can we get it from the text? Look at Luke chapter 1. Go back to Luke. Luke chapter 1. Let me read verse 35 again. And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. We talked about the Spirit's role. And the power of the high, Most High will overshadow you. We talked about the Father's role. Now watch this phrase, okay? For that reason, the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. Now, this is loaded, loaded, loaded terms. This is holy ground. Okay? What does this mean? Okay? In your Bible, that, that portion that says holy offspring, some of your versions may say holy child. Some of your versions may say holy son. Really, it means First of all, this child is going to be holy, set apart from sin, okay? Without sin. This is not a description of mankind. Mankind is born into sin. Psalm 52 says, Psalm 51 says, I was brought forth in iniquity. This one is called the holy one. 
okay? Or the holy child, or the holy son. But what is specific about the way the language is used, this is very, very interesting. He says here, the reason why it's sometimes translated holy offspring is because in the grammar, this word, okay, is in the neutered form. Now, this may, may not mean much to English speakers, okay? But those in different languages that have masculine and feminine and neutered, this means a whole lot, okay? Rather than saying Christ comes as a holy son, okay? Right? This is not saying this. This is saying he is a holy, this is saying about this nature that he is a holy, what does it say? Verse 35. The power of the Most High will overshine. For that reason, the holy offspring or child, this is in the neutered form, this speaks of the nature, not the person. Okay? Now think about it. Look at here. The holy offspring, the nature, okay, shall be called the Son of God, the person. Son is masculine. So the explanation is this. That which is conceived is described not in terms of personhood or identity as all other human conceptions are. The human nature had a starting point, not the person. This is a, it was a gender, it was a, uh, it was a, a neutral, a neutered form. The offspring or the holy thing to be that which is conceived will be delivered into the world naturally, not supernaturally. It was a miraculous conception, not birth. So then look at the phrase here. Shall be called the Son of God. And so now he's saying the human nature will be called the Son of God because Jesus now will actuate it with his person. That which is conceived without personhood is born as a person now. The son is in the masculine gender. So why did he do this? We know this. He, he did this to die for our sins. Let me read you a quote. Okay. Let me read you a quote. And just listen to me. Okay. That union of the divine and human necessarily dwarfs all other facts and concerns. It is the biggest thing that ever happened in the universe. Okay. We don't act like it is. We don't live our lives like it is. You know. But it is the biggest thing. We get excited over sports. We get excited when our team wins. We get excited when a fighter wins, we get excited with all other mundane things that are going to pass. This marks history. That union of the divine and the human necessarily dwarfs all other facts and concerns. That means it makes everything else small. Okay? Indeed, all other phenomena, knowledge, events, and concerns must now be viewed in the light of it for it not only dwarfs all others, it illumines and changes them all, whether natural, social, political, racial, individual. All other appearances which have held man's admiring gaze are burned, as it were. In the unique white light of this super fact, 
the incarnation is the miracle of miracles. The meaning of meanings, which should rivet the attention of so-called Christendom as never before. It is the fundamental interpretation of things compared with which the uh, with which the splitting of the atom is a barely noticeable incident. He goes on, the same commentator, he says, as the angels of heaven look down upon this earthly scene, surely their biggest marvel, listen to this, must be the absence of human marvel at this eternal surprise. Angels look down on the earth, he's saying this, and they don't, and he, they look at humankind and they don't give a care. You ask your, your average coworker, your average student, what happened that Christmas night? They don't give a care. In fact, they didn't care when he was born. His own people didn't even care. And your God came in utter obscurity. You wouldn't even let your child play in a manger, let alone be born there. I mean, I, I've stayed in some really bad hotels before. We got caught in New York City. Really awful hotel with mold all over. But it is, and we stayed in there, but it was nowhere near this. Oh, I've got somewhere animals and their filth lie. And the God of the universe went there and was born there. It ought to make us tremble. He says that infinity has clothed itself with our humanity. With that first little baby breath of Bethlehem's hilly night air, the king of ages had come from beyond the stars to dwell as our blood relative. He who gave the stars and suns their flash and flame had become the babe of the virgin. Why was there a marvelous prophecy predicted? Why did the miraculous process occur? Why did the majestic person come and humble himself by clothing himself in human flesh? Here's the reason, friends. And this is how you apply it. When you say, okay, Angelo, I hear what you're saying. Mary miraculously conceived and had Jesus. What does that mean for me today now? Let, let God answer that question. Look at Matthew chapter 1. And he answers it. Matthew chapter 1. And this is a verse we already looked at, but... I want you to see. This is why it matters. This is why our whole lives should be based on what Christ has done, on his initiative. Sometimes when we are not reconciled with one another and we have an, an anger issue or a conflict with someone, sometimes in our own sin we wait, well, I'll just kind of wait for that person to come and say, and and 
work towards me to reconcile. Maybe ask for my forgiveness. I'm just going to wait, right? See, that's not how God did it. You have sinned against him. Your heart is not for him. The Bible says to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And you do not do that. You know you've sinned against him. You've lied. You've cheated. You've, you've stolen. You've done all these wicked things. You've broken relationships. You've hurt people. You know you do that. You don't have to tell me. I'm not a priest. We don't believe in that. The only person you need to tell is Christ. And all of these things are true. And that's why you can't go to sleep at night sometimes. Or you drown it out with music. Or you drown it out with something else. But let me tell you. The one who takes initiative to reconcile you to him is not you. You would rather stay where you're at. But what did God do? He came himself in the flesh. He didn't send an email. He didn't send a text. He came himself to deal with your sin. Matthew chapter 1. Notice he says here. Verse 20. Matthew chapter 1. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. He repeats Luke. Okay. Verse 21. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. God with us. Same as Emmanuel. For why? What is the reason? What is the express purpose that Jesus came? For he might save his people from their sins. He maybe, he, he could, he hesitatingly will. No, he says he will save his people from their sins. Brothers and sisters, the reason why you are a believer today, if you know Christ, is because he came in the flesh for you. And he thought of you. If you know him, if you're a Christian and you've placed your faith in Christ and you trust in him, the application for this sermon is to marvel and to trust in him. The greatest problem you have ever had, that is your sin against God, has been solved for all of eternity. The provision has been paid incomplete by the blood of his son. You are forgiven and you never have to look back anymore. Is that mar marvelous? Is there no amen? You never have to look back. And if you ever doubt his love, you ever doubt his initiative in your life, you ever doubt those things, remember that he came for you. If you don't know him and you don't trust in him, and you don't trust that Christ died on the cross, I pray you would consider this. My heart is that you would, my prayer is that you would consider. This is not just tradition. This is not fairy tales or hocus pocus. This is where we place our whole faith and trust. This is where freedom of forgiveness is. Do not run from him. He has come for you. Do not run from trust in him let's pray father in heaven we are so grateful that we could sing and worship and glorify you we are so grateful
for your son who took the initiative to come. Who put on flesh and still bears his, his scars in heaven for us. Oh Christ. You didn't have to do it. We are not worthy of it Lord. We didn't. We, we, we spurned your name. We used your, your son's name as a cuss word. And you saved us and you cleansed us. And you saved us from our sins, the text says. Oh God, would you save, save more. Use this church, use us for your glory. Use your word, your spirit. Maybe have a, a good celebration with each other, uh, with our families as we go out. And maybe share the good news that God came down in Jesus' name. Amen.